Hello, welcome to the Blue Grid podcast. This is your host, Major Ani Fedotova, a psychologist at Los Angeles Air Force Base. What makes us resilient? What is grit? Please join me as I set out to discover how we can become greedier. This podcast features current and former military leaders, mental health experts, elite athletes, veterans, special operators, superior performers, POWs, and others affiliated with the military who have overcome significant adversity. Each guest will discuss the unique methods and practices to help airmen and really all service members or anyone interested to build mental toughness and grit. The views expressed are those of the author or guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the United States government. My guest today is Abby Schrader. She lost her husband, former commander of the 342nd Training Squadron at Joint Base San Antonio, Lackland, during a shooting in 2016. Lieutenant Colonel William Schrader died in a heroic act when he fought and was killed by a disgruntled service member in a murder-suicide. Lieutenant Colonel Schrader saved the lives of countless fellow airmen by confronting the shooter and was outlived by his wife, Abby, and two sons. Abby, thank you so much for agreeing to participate in this interview. Yes, you're welcome. So before I get to questions, I will open up by letting you introduce yourself. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, what do you do currently and uh, where you live? And... Okay. Um, well, after the event at Lackland, we decided to relocate to Florida. So I live near Hurlburt, um, which was one of my favorite assignments that Bill had. And so we've been living here about a year now. The boys are really enjoying their new school. We love our new community, too. Everyone here is very supportive of us and very inclusive, too inviting us to ceremonies on base and activities in the community. We're just enjoying the beach and paddleboarding and kayaking. We even had a canoeing trip recently. That was really fun. And right now I am just taking care of the boys and making sure that we get resettled. How old are your boys? Noah is nine and in third grade and Mason is five in kindergarten. Okay. So I'll start right away with asking you about what happened. Would you tell about the event in your own words? Okay. Well, as I understand it, there was a candidate in the pararescue program, and he voluntarily removed himself because he couldn't master the necessary skills. And so he dropped out and um, filed a grievance against the Air Force and believed that it was the fault of our instructors and our leadership. After a thorough investigation, it was determined that, no, he was just not qualified for that career field. And so on the day he presented for his Article 15, underneath his uniform, he hid two guns, knife, a taser, and over 60 rounds of ammunition. And then presented in front of the first sergeant and then asked for my husband to be called into the office. And there was a, a struggle and my husband told the first sergeant to, to get out of the room. And during the course of the struggle, he sustained several shots and then the fatal shot. And then as I understand it, that Bellino was his name, um, then killed himself in the same office. But as far as 
I think the results of the investigation showed is that he intended to do more harm in the squadron based on the amount of weapons he had on his body and the ammunition. And so I think my husband saved a lot of lives that day. Do you know exactly what, what happened in the room? Um, For sure it was the witness, I'm guessing. Correct, yes. I think it happened fairly quickly. It was very early in the morning. And there was some words exchanged trying to get the gentleman to talk through the issues and hash it out. But as I understand it, he had the gun pointed at them. I'm not sure if it was pointed at the first sergeant or my husband. But yeah, the first sergeant would have the best account. Did you talk to the first shirt after this happened? I did, but we didn't get into the specifics. You know, I was I was in shock and I stayed in shock for several months. And so there was just some information that I didn't want at that time. How did you find out about the shooting? Well, actually, on Facebook, there was a post about an active shooter on base and that it was at our squadron. Initially, it was thought that everyone was okay. I got a phone call from my husband's boss, and he said that there had been an incident involving Bill. And so I knew right away what was happening. So I just said, okay, Sarah, I'll go pick up my son and head home. And then, but my mom was with me. She had been visiting because I had just had um, surgery and I was on my way to take her to the airport. So we had to stop for water for my son. And so I Googled it and I knew right away it already, you know, within a matter of 20 or 30 minutes, I don't know, it already said two killed. Um, so I guess technically I first found out through social media in the internet, but Oddly enough, I still held out hope, even though I knew the notification team was on their way. So it took, you know, a couple hours to assemble everyone. And then they were at my house and I got the formal notification. You knew before they arrived? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also knew because I kept trying to call everyone at the squadron um, and nobody would answer my calls. And so that told me something, too. And I, I know they were busy, you know taking care of their own business, too, so. Did the notification team talk to you or to the rest of your family as well? Uh, it was just me at home. Um, I had my mom take my younger son, I don't know, into a different room. And then my older son was still at school, so he wasn't there when the notification team came. What was that like to hear the confirmation from that team? It was, I don't know, it was just surreal. You know, my husband, this was his second command. And so we had attended the commander spouse training courses um, first at AFSOC and then through AETC. And you get the briefing on notification and you meet with your casualty assistance officer in the area. And, um, you know, and they had people come in and talk about their experience notifying someone. And I never thought that I would be on the receiving end of that. So it just, it just didn't feel like it was really happening. You know, I felt like I was kind of on the outside looking in. When did you tell your kids and what was that like? Um, well, by the time my son, when it was getting time for school to get out, I guess 
the press had already kind of been outside the house and at the school. And so they sent some people to school to get my son. And then when he got home, the chaplain was there. And of course, my mom was still there. She ended up staying for a couple of months. She took a leave of absence from work and everything. So we sat upstairs and and I just had to tell them as best I could. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Your youngest son was three years old. He was three, yeah. And your oldest was five or six? His birthday was just a couple days prior. He had just turned seven. Oh, seven. Did your youngest understand what was going on? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, we had to put it in terms that he could understand. And we said, um, and I talked with the chaplain ahead of time, too, on, you know, what, what to say. And it was, it was wonderful to have that support network already there. But um, we just said, you know, there was a bad guy at Daddy's work, and he had guns, and, and he killed Daddy. And he, he can't come back to us. And what was the aftermath of for the last two years of dealing with, with these these news? Well, I think the boys have done really well overall. Um, I think partially due to the fact of all of the people around us, with my military spouse friends taking really good care of us. And during that first year, the guys from the squadron, too, they would come over and play with them and jump on the trampoline or invite us to activities like we went paddleboarding. Yeah, we just had a lot of support from our family and from our military community. And so I think, you know, they felt that love and that um, that level of dedication and care. And I think that helped them feel secure in such a, such an uncertain time. What was it like for you to be in public eye after this happened? I didn't talk to the media at all. I just, I didn't want to. And in the past, I wasn't happy with the way other military events were portrayed either. There was already a lot of mixed information out there. And so I just wanted the Air Force to handle it. And I wanted their investigation to unfold I really didn't talk to the media. I received a, um, a wonderful honor, and the honor with the portraits in Courage. And then I talked a little bit about it. Did you feel supported by the, by the military community or by the Air Force overall? Oh, I did. Absolutely. Well, you're assigned a family liaison officer, the flow, and then you have your casualty assistance officer. And a lot of people were just coming to the house to advise me and the chaplain came every day and the doctor came too. Um, I was having trouble sleeping. I couldn't sleep at all. And so we kind of worked through some issues and got that taken care of. I couldn't eat either. And, you know, it was all just extremely stressful. But the best thing for me is that I was really involved in the Lackland Spouse Club and the Wolford Hall Auxiliary. And so my girlfriend from those two organizations came and stayed with me the entire weekend. They slept over on air mattresses and on the couches and in spare beds. It was just really nice to have their support. And even from that first day, they just kind of took charge and 
made shopping list and got all the supplies for all the people coming over, coffee and just you name it. And they thought of it, food prepared. Someone would come every morning at like six in the morning and make coffee for all the guests. Mm -hmm. And I was just very well taken care of. Do you feel now, two years later, you had a closure with this event? Oh, no. I, you know, I don't think there will ever be closure. It's just something um, that I'm learning to live with. Is there something in your mind that would bring justice to, to the event? Um, no, I don't think so. I, no. Did it change how you view how you view other people yes definitely um i never imagined that something like this could happen especially you know at the squadron too on on base even too but yeah bill and i were happily married for 10 years and he was coming up on 17 years of service and so you know we kind of were saving and making plans for retirement And I mean, by retirement, I just mean life and careers after the military. And then, and then this happened. It just made me realize how it's not always a given. You have to be prepared for the what ifs. Would you have done anything differently in, in your life knowing that you will have this outcome? Oh, you know, I thought about that. Yeah. Um, but no, I would absolutely relive those 10 years with Bill, for sure. It was probably the happiest part of my life, um, having our family and just moving around and living in Europe and traveling. And we had a lot of shared interest and common goals and, oh, sorry. Um, Yeah, so, no, I don't think so. I think I always made careful choices, you know, after college and in my career, and, and that led me to Bill, and then, you know, we had our the rest of our lives planned together, so. How did you meet? Oh, well, through my college roommate. She married a man in the Air Force, and then when they moved back from Italy, I went to visit them, and they introduced me to Bill. So in a way, I set them up, and they got married, and then they set me up, and we got married. What was Bill like? My husband, he was so kind and and caring. He really cared about all the people he worked with, and he really loved his career, too. He was very dedicated to it. And outside of work, he really enjoyed working out. He ran marathons and then got into ultras. And did a couple 50-milers. And when we lived in Germany, he did a couple mountain marathons in Switzerland and all over. He was just a very active, outdoor kind of person. We like to go camping together as a family. We always go bike riding, throw the kids in the little bike trailer. And, uh, yeah. Do you remember your last interaction with your, with your husband? The last interaction? Oh, uh, it was just a kiss goodbye in the morning uh, before he left for work. And then I said, oh, I'll call you later so we can make plans for tonight. And that was it. Do you rewind this back on your head and think that you wish you would have said something differently or did something differently? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, just because that was, 
we just had a completely normal morning. Mm -hmm. We would, you know, get up. He would always go work out before the boys woke up. So he would either go for a run or go to the gym and then he would come back and get ready for work so he could be with them in the morning before school. And then he would always drop my son off. If he wasn't TDY, he would take him to school. And, you know, we all had our routine. So I'm glad it was just a normal day. He wasn't traveling or away so that I couldn't see him. At least I did get to see him. You mentioned that this this event and losing your husband changed the way you think about people. Do you feel that this experience changed the way you want to raise your sons? Oh, absolutely. When we decided to move back to Florida, I, I chose to um, enroll them at St. Mary's Catholic School where Noah had attended when we lived here four years ago because Bill and I both attended Catholic school growing up. And I think it helped us become the people that we are. Um, and so I wanted them to be in that community with like-minded children and parents too, you know, possibly um, more warm and caring um, with a religious focus too, so that they understand that not everyone behaves the way that that man did, you know, that hurt their dad. I wanted them to be, you know, exposed to to all the good things in life, too. Do you at times get scared or maybe anxious about what may happen to your loved ones and to your sons? I think at first I did, but then over time I realized that so much of it is out of our control that you really just have to live your daily life and each day try to accomplish everything that you hope for so that if it does happen to be your day to go, you're content, I guess, with with what you've done. And I realize I can only protect them so much. And so I just try to be careful with the events we attend and where we travel to. I think I take travel bans a lot more seriously now. <laughs> and just different activities, too. But I know once they're older, I won't be able to, to control what they do either. And that kind of leads me to my question. Do you feel you're able to find a new meaning, move on, or find joy in life? I do. I think it's taken me almost two years to get to a comfortable place. Um, what I realized is obviously we can't change what happened. Um, so I can only, you know, move forward from here. Um, I had a wonderful thing happen Last year, I got accepted to the Gold Star family running team, Wear Blue Run to Remember. And so they sponsored 10 of us, um, family members who had lost a loved one, whether it be your husband or a brother or sister or a son or daughter. And so I trained for about seven months for the Marine Corps Marathon. And I had never done that before, but Bill had. And, you know, I'd always been on the supporting end of it, training for that kind of proved to me that I can do this, that I do have the strength somewhere <laughs> inside of me. And then I got to have this wonderful couple of days of events with all of these Gold Star teammates. And then we all ran and finished this race. It was just a really, really amazing accomplishment for me. And it was also a, a beautiful way to honor Bill too, doing something 
that he loved that he can't do anymore. And so they have what's called the Blue Mile. And on that mile, they have posters of all the fallen. So for a mile, you run through hundreds of posters and then hundreds of American flags. And it's it's a really moving tribute. And I think, um, like I said, just a great way for me and for all of us to honor our fallen loved ones. How beautiful. Well, congratulations. That's, that's a big accomplishment then. Thank as you. As a fellow runner. <laughs> Yeah. It's great to hear. I've actually never done that that marathon one day. Oh, well, it's my favorite. And I said I would never do it again, but I'm already registered. <laughs> you probably registered. registered. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, if the pain of it is, is removed far enough, you, you tend to go <laughs> yeah. and register for the new marathon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So movement and, and exercise in general sounds like one of the things that help you move on. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Back to my support system at Lackland, I was also a member of the Lackland Wives Running Club um, when this happened. And after that, all the girls that were a part of it were so supportive and would come to the house. And I realized sometimes when I would go on my longer runs, I had too much time alone and to think, and I would just start crying. Mm. And I'd be doubled over on the sidewalk, just Mm. looking like a hot mess in Texas. (laughs) So I asked the girls, you know, a couple of friends to start running with me on those long runs. And it helped me so much. And so then I was ready for the San Antonio Half Marathon. And then that's when that the marathon idea started growing. So I'm so grateful, too, for that support of my running club, too, not just with running, but also in their friendship, too. I was in San Antonio at the time as well. I bcs to Korea from Lackland Air Force Base around fall of 2016. So, oh, okay. Yeah, when, actually, when shooting happened, I was teaching a class. Oh. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting now to hear, you know, how we're interconnected. Um, and we, um, we saw, my students and I saw a pop-up on the screen that said, this is not an exercise real life. I don't remember. Right, now. people, I know, yeah, yeah, I was told people didn't know, like that did, yeah, at first they did think it was, you know, an exercise. Yeah, but. yeah. So moving exercise and the sense of, community support and network would help you do well is there anything that you feel in kind of most most difficult days the darkest hours that you reached for that you ended up doing that was helpful well i guess when it got really bad this is months months after i actually relied on my training that i had through the military because I was a key spouse and a commander spouse, I had access to a lot of different training. And one thing that I chose to do was to attend the master resilience training, but the smaller portion, the resilience training assistant program. And I learned through that program, I mean, it's all based on resilience, that it's a skill you can develop, not that it's just innate characteristics that only some people have. And so it it teaches you how to develop these skills. And they break it down into the four domains, you know, the four main areas, physical, spiritual, mental, and social. And so I honestly sat down and made goals under each category. For physical, 
okay, I had already loved to work out and I was running. So I set the half marathon goal. Spiritual, well, Bill and I were both raised Catholic and we were raising our boys as Catholics too. Um, And so this is an area where I probably faltered a little bit in that first year because I cried every day and I still do. um, But it was a lot more every day back then. It was hard for me to go to church because all of the songs made me think about Bill. The readings just made me focus on Bill. And so I really couldn't go to church for a while. And it wasn't that I had any issues with God or I was questioning my faith. It was just difficult. Some days our wedding songs would be played or Amazing Grace would be played. And I would just be crying. And so I didn't want to be that that person crying in church every week. But now I'm okay. We go every Sunday and it's great. (laughs) But then social, well, thankfully, um, social, I was very well taken care of because, you know, I had made so many friends and it seemed like everywhere I go, I meet these wonderful women who are so active in our military community and really care about making a difference. You know, they work on these events and sometimes raise $30,000 in one night. You can give scholarships all year, or I was on the receiving end of some of those funds too when this happened. You know, um, the Wilford Hall Auxiliary helped out with different things, like providing a meal here and there for the family at my house. Oh, through the squadron and other people in the community, we had meals delivered to our house for two months after Bill passed wow. away. I didn't have to cook, or my mom didn't have to cook. Oh, generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was wonderful. And then the girls, we would go to yoga night, the Hyatt Hill Country yeah. Club, and that was really nice. It was just a nice way to be together. Or we'd go for runs, or we'd go out to dinner here and there. And then, well, emotionally or, or mental, I don't know, that was kind of a, I think, <laughs> still a work in progress for me, even now, dealing with grief. But... For that emotional aspect, TAPS became an amazing resource for me, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. And through there, I got to go to Good Grief Camp, it's called, and with the boys. And so we went away for a weekend in Baltimore and spent time, you know, with other families like us. And I met um, a widow friend whose husband had been killed when he was deployed and just unexpected. And so we shared a lot of the same emotions and shock and just trauma surrounding the situation. And then I chose um, to go on a widow-specific retreat with TAPS, and I met so many more women like me who've become very close friends, so close that we decided to do the TAPS cruise this year. And so we're, you know, we're able to get together and just just know that we're not alone in this journey either. You know, we can share our emotions that are sometimes, you know, so dark or our humor that can also be so dark too. It's just nice to have these women um, to go through it with and to do it. And so this was, you said, spiritual, physical, social, and uh, last the main. Mental, right? Mental, mm-hmm. yes. How were you able to approach that domain? Oh, the the mental. Um, I had some therapy for a while. I had a wonderful grief therapist, and she just helped me kind of 
work through it. I was initially very stressed out about being a, a single parent and, you know, being able to care for and provide for the boys while they were missing that other role model and other person, you know, to give them affection and love and play with them or, you know, and, and interact with them in a way that only their daddy can, you know, kind of that rough and tumble boy play and those kind of things, you know, I, I, I don't really enjoy wrestling and <laughs> rough housing. Like maybe I'll do a cannonball in the pool once in a while for them, but that's about it. So. But yeah, so that was very helpful too. And something I had never done in my life before either. And so, yeah, my therapist really helped me, you know, just kind of address um, a few lingering issues, I guess. Knowing what you know, how to cope with difficult times, what would you recommend? What would you say to fellow service members or their spouses, anybody who is struggling through difficult times? Just reach reach out and get to know all the resources available to you because what I discovered is that there are so many organizations out there to help people like me that didn't exist 20 years ago. You know, Bonnie Carroll, the founder of TAPS, when her husband was killed in a plane crash, she didn't have a group like TAPS to turn to. And so that's why she started this organization so that in the future, spouses like her, spouses like me and all the girls I've met have that support network and it's grown so much that they've extended it to to family members my mother-in-law and father-in-law have done events and trips with taps but just don't be afraid to you know tell someone what you're struggling with whether it be grief or different things so all you have to do is tell someone in this type of situation people are more than happy to help you they just don't know what to do so you just have to tell people what help you're looking for you seem to have been very deliberate in your approach to dealing with stress and do you feel like it came naturally to you i mean you did mention you sit down and wrote goals in each of the domains that's a pretty deliberate step do you feel like it's a skill that you came into that situation having that skill or is it something that you had to learn along the way? I always fall back to calculus. It was one of my toughest classes in college, and I had no idea why I had to go through that. <laughs> but, but I learned a lot from it. And what I learned was that I needed other people to survive it. And so I became part of a great study group. And because of those six people, I got a good grade in calculus, but I never would have been able to do it without them. Maybe this example sounds so silly, but... It's so true about everything, especially everything that I've faced in the last two years. A Facebook memory just popped up where I had been out with a couple of my girlfriends, and I realized that they are a huge part of why I'm still here. You know, they they loved and cared for me and kind of held me, held all my broken pieces together the past two years. But I have so many women like that who are so strong themselves and intelligent in that when I have a certain problem, I can turn to any one of them or one that I know has specific experience with that issue. So I guess for me, it's always been, I know I need other people to survive. And what I discovered is that 
they're there. You just have to research. And that's what I did for a long time was just read articles on the internet on grief. And a lot of books were given to me. And I, I bought a lot of books on grief too. And so I just kept reading and researching and just trying to, sometimes it felt like digging myself out of the darkness. I didn't want to live like that forever. So I had to find the resources to help me process through it, get through it and keep moving forward. Was there a moment that you decided that you needed to take an action or did you know that right away? What I'm curious about is it seems like you really took control and started again to proactively find ways to cope. But I imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe there was a time when you didn't have the will, didn't have desire to do that. Do you remember if there was a, a moment when you decided to, I need to do something about this, I need to fix this, I don't want to live like this? Well, I feel like the past few years have been like that, but what I discovered is it's just, it's full of ups and downs. Grief is so exhausting. I I always felt tired and I always felt like I was fighting against it. And sometimes the only time that I felt good is when I was running. And so that's why I just kept running, you know, because it, it gave me that break, you know, it, my mind could stop. Um, but I, I don't think there was, a moment really it was just a it's just a whole process of figuring out what works and what doesn't and what was going to help me move forward and in what was holding me back is there something that um, I'm not asking you that is important about you that you'd like to share with the audience I think what I've learned over time is that and that first year is absolutely horrible and People just kept saying, you know, don't make any big decisions, don't move, don't do this or that. And and I really think it's so true because and people would tell me, oh, you're not going to remember this or that. And, and I don't. There are things that I just don't remember. And, you know, someone will tell me a story like, oh, yeah, I walked into your house that first day and, you know, you said this and I have no recollection. And I think that's how a lot of it is in those first couple of months when you're in shock because I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't eating and, you know, my, I, I couldn't turn my mind off. So I had no time to process, you know, everything that was happening and file it away. Um, and so I think it's, it's very wise to just give yourself time to, to heal in that first year, but it, it's so dark and lonely and, and emotional and sad and, and it feels like it's never going to end. <laughs> and um, I think in a way, I think I just learned how to deal with all of it better. You know, clearly you can hear I'm getting all choked up just remembering it and reliving, you know, that pain. But now I'm better able to to deal with it. You know, if, like I said, I still cry every day <laughs> about losing my husband. But I can kind of... Um, if it's not a good time, like we're at church, I can just, you know, hold it together. And then maybe I'll give myself that time to cry, you know, after the boys go to bed. And then I can, you know, um, look at all the the mementos and pictures and, you know, Bill's awards and things and try to remember all the, the good stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for allowing me to ask you these questions. I, I know... Um... Still, still feels pretty raw to you.
Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Thank you so much, Abby. This is this is really really good. Uh, thank you for 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 being so genuine. Yeah, I hope it's um in line with yeah. you know what you were looking for. I just oh, it's so hard to know you know what to say or the right things to say or no, you're saying all the right things. I, yeah, I'm not looking for, for the right things. I'm interested in your story. Yeah. Well, yeah, and so the other part of my journey too is that um you, you know, I still get emotional and choked up, but the good part is I'm my energy is back. And so I have this wonderful military widow scholarship to use, so I think I've kind of narrowed down what I want to go for. And so I'm going to start taking classes. I have to fill a couple of prerequisites and things, but I guess maybe I should have said that that was the part of I'll keep it. Yeah, yeah. Just want widows to know it does get better and you will feel, you know, you will feel better. You'll, I don't want to say recover, but like I said, I just learned to live with it and, and I want to have a happy life. And so now I know what I need to do, you know. Good luck to you. I hope it works out. Um, What are you thinking to study? I'm shooting for a master's program to become a physician assistant. Nice. That's a stressful job, (laughs) I think. You know, I was I always tease my husband that I was so jealous of all of his graduate degrees that I couldn't wait till, you know, he retired so I could get back to school. <laughs> and, and it's not the way I wanted it to happen, but I sure I'm going to do it. Oh, so Awesome. I'm I'm sure you'll do well. Good luck to you. Yeah, you're quite <laughs> determined. Um, <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, well, good luck with your uh, hot and humid Florida runs. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh. But yeah, no, it'll be good. Okay. It's good. It's cleansing. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a way to think about it. This is your host, Major Anya Fedotova. Thank you for listening to the Blue Grid podcast. Hopefully, you enjoyed this interview. My goal is to air the narratives of courage, vulnerability, and crit to normalize the airmen's own challenges and help them internalize the message of hope and recovery. This discussion is not a formal medical advice and any techniques, treatment, diagnosis, or alternative actions discussed are not a recommended treatment or course of action for all listeners and are not a replacement for professional medical assistance. You are encouraged to seek medical or psychological help for your unique issue. If you have feedback, please find me in the global. My email is anavfedotova.mil at mail.mil. It's A-N-N-A dot V dot F-E-D-O-T-O-V-A dot mil at mail dot mil.